Welcome to Direction Correct, a people's podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, nobody. Thanks to our sponsors, Worklytics. Generate actionable insights from work data while protecting your privacy using workplace analytics with our partners, Worklytics. What do you want to talk about today, man? Boy, we got, I haven't talked to you in a while, just you and me one-on-one, right? I know, it's our filthy schedule, it just keeps pushing us around. I think uh, today we have some uh, grab bag, so a bunch Ooh. of little things we haven't gotten to before. We got uh, a bit of nerdery, of course, as always. We got as uh, always. Uh, we should little... do a Waffle House to each other. I'm just realizing this. We've never done one for just you and I. Well, let's do it. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> see why we shouldn't do it. We'll, we'll All right, we'll give us some time to think about it while the episode's going on. <laughs> we'll take a little break in the middle, but uh, we also have an article from uh, about performance and effort. But uh, you want to start with like a little bit of recap of uh, what we've seen in the past, like say six months or so? Yeah, um, and I actually wanted to, as a part of that, make a quick announcement because we totally spaced on this when it happened, but. We missed our one-year anniversary with the Zach Love podcast. We forgot was... to announce that. <laughs> That's quite an accomplishment. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. We made it a year, especially doing a weekly. I mean, I don't know if people realize how much effort goes into this. but uh... yeah, People have no idea how much effort <laughs> goes into this shamble of a podcast that we have. So much effort into the pod, so little effort into the clothes that are worn on the pod. I mean, they're basically the same clothes every week. You've got your Columbia or Patagonia shirt, and I've got my golf polos. I mean, we even put that in the agenda. We send a guest. It's like Polex golf polos. <laughs> I should buy stock in Patagonia for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, let's do a recap. So like uh, our New Year's resolution one, or not New Year's, our New Year's episode that you and I did together, we did a recap of kind of the first six months of episodes that we had. And then we've got six more months now. So let's take a look back. I don't know. Um, well, maybe maybe we could start, Scott, with you know, what was what was some of your like favorite people to talk to, like, or you know, favorite guests? You know, did you have any conversations that particularly struck your fancy? Oh, I mean, shout out to all the guests. I mean, I think that they all brought it, they were all good it's super thankful for you know them volunteering their time to come on and talk to us uh i, I really enjoyed talking to you know michael arena rob cross conjar uh emily pelosi i'd already had a relationship with these people beforehand yeah and it, it's great to talk to new people and meet them later like we had the opportunity to talk to say a mitt or you know some of these other folks and I think it's a great way to just like socially connect with these people and uh, just make more connections overall. Shout out to everybody. Rob Stilson. I hear you oh, out yeah. there. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Hare himself. I loved it. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I walked away from all these, like knowing people a little bit better in different ways. Uh, what about you, man? Yeah. I feel the same way. It's, it's interesting. Like I love getting to know human beings and kind of like why they work. And I think that's why I went into psychology in the first place. But you really get like a next level layer doing this podcast for some reason. I don't know why. Like if I just had a conversation with one of these people on the street, it wouldn't be sometimes as interesting as these. But I don't know. I, some of the ones I really liked a lot. I like the live ones. Those are fun. Yeah. It was really cool getting to, you know, talk to Nicholas Brimner at, at Talreos and then 
Alexis at PSYOP. And just a, like a little funny aside, because you can't really tell on video. But like <laughs> one of the beauties of doing these live is I actually got to see like Alexis start blushing at times, which is <laughs> like, it's so interesting. Like somebody you like look up to and seems like, like very like unachievable in terms of like who they are. And then you get to have a conversation with them and it's like, they start blushing like, oh, this is still a human being, you know? And so that's so freaking cool. But actually my favorite guest, and we we do side him quite often in terms of the research, it had to be Creday. So Marcus Creday was just yeah. such a freaking weird and epic episode. <laughs> like weird, I love that one a lot. Epic, enlightening, shocking, even. Yeah. All but in a good I way. Too. Point, All in a good way. Yeah. I mean, he's saying like something like 40% of academic research is like crap. And I was like, not Whoa, crap, like, dude. Just straight made up. Yeah, like just straight made up. And I was like, okay, th- I want to have more conversations <laughs> like this because these are kind of things you just, you go to an academic conference, you read LinkedIn or you read journal, you just don't hear this kind of stuff. And I feel like it's like, you know, some of these kind of things, these are the only conversations that are being had on these topics. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny you you bring up like Alexis and Nicholas. I, I put these two as my highlights. The, you, as much as we have to work remotely with one another, having those live experiences is just so much better. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Alexis blush during the actual pod. Nicholas, we, we got to have some beers with him at Talreos. It was so great. And like uh, seeing like what would you get like uh, Alexis blush when uh, she did pick a number and yeah. came up like what would you do for love and just out of <laughs> randomly that was so freaking funny <laughs> like, like I still have people have talked to me about that but um when the, like and like the thing with Nicholas like people don't know like we continued that after the podcast oh, yeah. was over we got I mean we were hanging out for hours well, you and I hung out for hours before the podcast and then we were hanging out for hours afterwards with Nicholas that was like one of the funnest things but I don't know in terms of highlights for me and you mentioned her earlier I thought it was so cool we got to talk to Emily Pelosi being the fact that I'm pretty sure she's the only person who's worked with both of us in one capacity yes. or another and it's just so interesting and I think um Kind of along these lines, I know we had floated this idea out there. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not, but like, what if we got to talk to both of like our first bosses on the podcast? <laughs> like, <laughs> like how crazy like would that be and embarrassing likely um, oh, just gosh. to have these kind of conversations? I know we've talked to Tillman before, who was both our advisor, and that was funny enough in itself. Oh my God. Like, I mean, speaking of like some of the funniest moments, like came from say like the live podcast that we did at La Tech. Yeah. I, I, I found like some of the nerdery stuff we've gotten to, like probably the best sort of pod that we've done. Uh, like at La Tech, we talked about toxoplasmosis, like essentially controlling yes. workers' lives. I mean, I still think about that once a week. It was incredible. Uh, I totally forgot about that. That's a crazy conversation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quintessential directionally correct right that is like if you could <laughs> bottle directionally correct that was it Which i love i, I love like, the uh ethan burroughs as well when we talked about the taliban hating their job <laughs> now they yeah. have to do desk jobs I, oh i love it uh, the one i was really looking forward to the most ended up not being as funny but i i thought it was funny when i saw the article was more recent was the the it worker who had was who had been on sick leave for 15 years and then you know was was suing the company to get a raise like dude you haven't worked in 15 years man 
<laughs> Why are you suing for a raise? That's anyway. gonna be a little sad, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that one was a little reason. sad, but the concept was funny, that's for sure. Uh, we almost caused an East Coast West Coast battle at uh, Psyop, claiming that the Did West we? Coast was better than the East Coast. Oh yeah, you said West West Coast is the best coast. I I want to <laughs> quote that. I a nice I'm, boo boo from the crowd came up. That was intriguing. Yeah, I I think that's our only boo we've had. <laughs> best best booze on the moment. I don't At know. least pub- publicly, anyway, thus far. Did you have anything like in the first six months of topics we should have talked about, or people, or things we should have brought up with guests that we didn't get to? Um, I mean, like we we've kind of covered like AI and uh, this sort of thing at nauseum. But I mean, there, there's more to come there for sure. It's not going to go away. It's only going to ramp up. I, I think return to office is still a big deal. We covered that a bit. We we had some folks uh, talking about sabermetrics and sports analytics and just different ways to apply it. I don't think we've covered many of the soft topics very well, culture, leadership, and this sort of thing. So I mean, we'll look for some guests like that in the future. Yeah, maybe we can hit some of those moments in the past or I mean in the future. I was thinking like of we we've cited Crade's research on a few other podcasts since his. Oh yeah. And even before his too. And I think a missed opportunity for me is like what if we just had a Crade podcast and just covered Crade research on a Crade podcast? That Have that Crede would Day. be epic. Crade Day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's like a, a girl's name who I went to high school with. The mean uh, streets of Monroe. I don't think yeah, we've had yeah. enough Johnny's Pizza talk. I think we need more Johnny's Pizza talk just so people understand. I'll be honest. I think we've we've hit the Johnny's Pizza. And, <laughs> and actually, well, actually, let's continue on that vein for just a second. So I did go back to Monroe recently, and I got some Johnny's Pizza. And I got to say, it holds up. Oh, it definitely man. holds up. And, oh, and I actually got the lunch buffet, which I haven't gotten in a long time because you have to be there at lunchtime <laughs> to get it. And it was amazing. Like, and I got it with one of the graduate students at tech and they, they were just like in love just as much as I was. And that was, it was a lot of fun. I am so happy for y'all. <laughs> y'all got to share that moment. I mean, you got to bitch out about some other stuff, but that's not, you neither here nor there. Anyway, you want to, <laughs> you want to do a grab bag? Oh, you want to do grab bag right now? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do, do some grab bag. Why not? Okay, uh, so these are things that uh, you and I will never get to because they're either smaller or just kind of ancillary or what have you. So throw them in the grab bag and we'll just, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, can, can uh, I kind of tee you up here a little bit just so it makes more sense, Scott? Sure. Because one of the things that I really appreciate about you on the podcast is you do a ton of behind the scenes work to find like really cool topics and articles to talk about. The problem that we have is we, we can't talk about everything. We have you know, many. and so you find yeah. something, it, it might be a little bit idiosyncratic or it doesn't really fit with like what we intend to talk about that week. And so it goes in, you know, basically to avoid, well, let's, let's talk about it, you know? Absolutely. We have a list a mile long of things that we'll never get to. And we have to constantly call it down to mm-hmm. uh, a list, but these are things that are fun, but we'll just never get to them otherwise. Uh, but in light of our one year anniversary, you know, one thing you brought up, probably on pod number one was this the Flynn effect 
And it's all about oh, yeah. the base rising up. And this article essentially says a full decade of the Flynn effect in America, the historical rise in trend of IQ can be explained by salt. So many men from Michigan and Wisconsin could not be drafted uh, into the military because they had goiters on their neck. They literally couldn't fit into their military uniforms, right? What? And this Dr. David Cowie convinced uh, the salt manufacturers, say like Morton Salt in uh, my parents' hometown, to add iodine to the uh, salt. And as a result, IQ went up 15 points in much of the United States and uh, income went up by 11% in these areas as well. So it's about salt. Iodine in the salt. I always heard it was like taking lead out of gasoline and stuff like that. But yeah, man, that must be salt iodine it's wild okay uh how do you feel man like subjectively it's weird like um i know you were probably just teeing this up to be like a short answer but sometimes i feel like a 15 year old and other times i feel like a you know 40 year old but it just depends on what the context (laughs) is like in your head you know like i i could go run 10 miles like no no i cannot i was like but you know it just depends it's not about your age. It's about how old you feel kind of thing. I don't know. That's a trite expression. Uh, I, I think it's accurate. I, I kind of vacillate between like thinking that I know everything and knowing nothing. So I guess that's similar to being like 15, thinking you know everything and like being like 19 and knowing <laughs> nothing. Right. Yeah. But this uh, study on subjective age found that people in their 20s feel slightly older than their true age. People in their 30s still feel about their mid 20s. Uh, 40-year-olds feel about 30, 50-year-olds feel like they're in their late 30s, and 70-year-olds feel like they're about 50. That's really interesting. You know, I think there's got to be some truth to that because, yeah, like I remember thinking a lot about like processing all the stuff. Like I think there's a part of it which is like you just don't process what's happening to you now. You only process what happened to you in the past. And so I feel like I'm just getting over like what happened in my mid twenties now. <laughs> the, the, the trauma is still yeah. affecting you. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just getting past that and that's why it must feel that way. Yeah. I, that's interesting. Repress all those grad school memories of hours spent. Oh, and like entry level jobs and bullshit oh, work and all the oh, stuff God. you have to do as a part of that. I mean, there's probably some selection bias. There has to be on the later end of like seven year olds, like because you know they start the tail starts getting thinner at that age. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of sympathize with the res- results, and I think to your point, like people probably feel younger, like the health is better, and these sort of things. So who knows? This um, is totally random. Yeah. I was driving by, what do you call them, like assisted living place the other day, and they they they, they rebrand themselves now as like exciting living place you know and the poster outside it said like for any exciting living individual who's 58 years old or plus can come live here and i was like 50 year olds aren't living in assisted living places as far as i'm concerned like who are these people so if you're 50 you're probably not you're still like living your life and working all the time who's this assisted living person Maybe they got it figured out. It looks like a pretty sweet lifestyle. You got like a built-in friend group. Uh, you got some activities, little yeah. volleyball. I don't know what they do. Yeah, you better like people that are 20 to 30 or 40 years older than you as your friends. <laughs> well, I mean, they there is the assisted living sort of apartments for these like 20-year-olds. It's like geared for like the 20-year-old or like the 25-year-old. Oh, yeah young people's apartments is they have like activities and this sort of thing. And like you go through life and then when you get older, you got like the 
old people assisted living home where they have activities and this sort of thing. Yeah, I've heard like people live on cruise ships and stuff like that. I guess it must be like that. I'm intrigued by the cruise. Have you ever been on a cruise? Yeah, I've been twice. I mean, there's there's good and bad parts. Like I think it was like one of those industries where it was of a higher quality in the past. Like I went when I was like mm-hmm. younger and it was like everything was nice. And now you go and it's like, this is not as nice. I don't know how else to put it. Well, you want to talk about uh, the coast, uh, the best companies to coast at. Uh, this uh, TikTok, this is from blind. People rate their companies and like uh, ask about, uh, you know, where you can have great work-life balance. And so apparently Microsoft, great work-life balance, Costco, people rarely get fired from Costco. So go work there. Uh, they claim that uh, JP Morgan is basically retirement on duty. LinkedIn, apparently a retirement home. They also mentioned Amer- American Express, IBM, and uh, Cisco. <laughs> That's such a strange employee value proposition. Like, hey, is your life work? Is your life's work done somewhere else? <laughs> Come here because you've already peaked. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, I guess people are looking for different things. Like, if you if you are looking for a place where it's like not going to be a huge challenge, uh, or if you just want to kind of like do your thing and move on. Would you say that, you know, the kind of pay that you get in that type of job is proportional to the problem size that you need to fix? No, you're quoting Elon Musk there. Uh, No, no. I think that your pay would probably be a little bit less because you're probably fewer expectations. Well, and that's that was the whole premise on the everyone gets paid the same article. (laughs) See, that's, that's another call back to a while ago. But everybody's looking for a job where they get paid a lot but don't have as much heartache and so i guess those companies are the companies you should be looking for um, until they go out of business unsolicited feedback so there's a funny tiktok of a young probably gen z probably or uh late young uh millennial talking about uh, complaining about unsolicited feedback. So she says the worst people in the world insist on giving you feedback on problems that are not real or made up. So while working at Google, a woman chased her down after a meeting and told her that the color schemes on her PowerPoint slides uh, did not have enough contrast and did not look professional and concluded to say, I thought that you would appreciate it because I appreciate feedback too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I have such a visceral reaction to this. <laughs> I don't I, I'm on a, I, I don't know if I can talk about this in in like an unbiased way. <laughs> Good. Like people like this drive me nuts. What do you think before I while I process my emotions? <laughs> I can tell you're really struggling here. There's there's a follow-up thing we can talk about as well. Uh, I, I think that earlier in your career, you, you come in with some sort of expectations and it, it's a way to acculturate individuals into an organization. But there is also a, I don't know if I go as far as say a Karen, but there is a, I feel the need to impart my wisdom on other people who may not want it. Granted, if if you have a purple on blue on yellow color scheme that people can't read, hey, it probably needs to be pointed out. But you don't need to pull people aside either. Let me tell a story real quick. And I think this will illustrate why I feel the way I feel. Okay. I I remember 
this was in one of my earlier career jobs. I won't say which one. And I had um, uh, my boss's boss asked me to do a special project for them, which was like a big honor. And so I was like super psyched about it. And they said, I want you to look into like progressive practices of what leading companies should be doing on this XYZ topic, right? And so I went off, like came back like a month later with like, I'd put a lot of work into this, right? And I really fancy presentation. And they were like, you just kind of missed the mark here, Cole. You know, and they're like giving me like this feedback, like, you know, and so they started putting some like things that I should consider putting in there. And so I went away for another month and I came back and I found even more cool stuff and a few of the things that they had mentioned. And they were like all the other cool stuff I found. They're like, well, you're really just missing the mark here. Like you don't, it's like you're. But I like these these three things that you put over here. And it was the the things that they had asked me to put. And yeah. so they asked me to put a few more. So I came back a month later and I just put the things that they they'd added a few more to. So it was like five different topics. And they're like, see, this is this is great, Cole. And I was like, oh no, you didn't want me to go do research on what was like uh like up and coming practices on XYZ topic. You just wanted me to say what you said and say it was brilliant. Confirmation. Right? Yeah, I was like, this is fucking stupid. And so like, like, like people, like, there's a lot of that in your career where basically they give you feedback on your color scheme. But really what they're saying is, you didn't say it the way that I would have said it myself. And therefore, you need to change what you're doing and just be a clone of me. Do you see where I'm coming from and why that's so frustrating? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and there is some element of like, uh, you know, we're looking for specific things and this sort of thing, but if you want like true innovation and you want to understand best practices across the field, well, these are them, you know, I understand where you're coming from as well. Yeah. No kidding. This young lady goes on to talk about quarterly performance reviews. Uh, they, they, which sound like a, she's essentially saying like, well, now you got an opportunity for these, uh, you know, leaders and everyone else just to whip your ass with like a, a more information and like quarterly performance reviews sound like a brutal thing. If you got to like write some sort of elements and like, oh God, sounds like an absolute beating quarterly performance reviews. That is way too often. I mean, I guess. I guess in certain roles, maybe highly transactional roles, you may even need like daily performance reviews just because of the nature of the work. But most knowledge worker jobs, the the performance is judged over a longer horizon of time. And so the fact that you would need to do, not to mention the administrative burden of doing this. And then, and this is the one I always harp on, is that they've done meta-analyses of performance feedback. And it shows that over a third of the time, performance feedback actually lowers future performance uh, going forward. So if you're doing them quarterly, you're just flipping the dice that many more times that it's going to go to negative. The administrators, the administrative burden is real. I worked at a company briefly that had these quarterly reviews and you had to write like two or three pages about what you did that quarter. And oh my God, just a complete waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Here, you want another hot opinion on performance reviews? Sure. Only the top and the bottom should get a performance review. If you're in the middle, just have a nice day. Unless you want one. Unless you want one. Well, and so this gets into um, the point where 
I think we actually talked about this one time on an episode and then the audio quality got screwed up and so we had to scrap it for whatever reason but oh we talked about performance reviews and I have like so many thoughts on this um but performance reviews are tied to compensation often and so it's really a compensation review not a performance review and therefore if you're in the middle of the bell curve or whatever you want to say yeah you shouldn't probably have that conversation but you have to if that person wants to get a raise right and and so that that's not necessarily the like if you if you consult any research on performance and how you should do it it's like if you're going to give a reward for something the reward has to be tied directly to the behavior it needs to follow directly after the behavior and not have a time lag mm-hmm. in between when the reward is given and when the behavior occurs i mean that's textbook behavioralism right and we've known this for you know 100 years something like that and and so it's like organizations, you know, are just patently trying to do things that are going to be counterproductive when it comes to performance. Tying the political aspect of it, i.e. the compensation to it, is totally apt, totally apt. We also know that only the top and the bottom can be reliably rated as far as their performance. People in the middle, just kind of inconsistent ratings all over the place. Oh, yeah, which makes doing things like stack ranking really oh, challenging. Yeah, absolutely uh do you know some tricks to make people like you cole i would love some tricks to make people like me (laughs) (laughs) okay it's called third person attribution if you're talking to someone and say something good about that third person the attributes will be ascribed to you say like oh uh tim he has great energy that person will think that you have great energy oh well our previous guest are very handsome. <laughs> uh, the, the bad news is I couldn't actually find this effect in a very quick Google search. I, I can find a uh, third person effect, which other which which you feel that others are more swayed by media or propaganda than you are. It's not the same oh, at yeah. all. But I could not find this uh, third person attribution effect. The other yeah, one, is- it does not sound real. I'll be honest with you, but um, <laughs> it does a- bring up the point. Have you ever heard of? Uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but Gelman amnesia. Mm, boy, this doesn't ring a bell at all. Maybe I have amnesia. This, this is a while, but this goes way back. Um, but it's this concept that if you read something in like a newspaper or like a authoritative source, most of the time about a subject for which you're an expert you'll realize like all of these flaws in it. It's like the person who's writing it really doesn't understand the topic and they're explaining, they're oversimplifying and all this kind of stuff. We're oftentimes just plain wrong. And then you read the next story about something you're not an expert and you take it as gospel, right? And it's called Gelman amnesia because that article likely has as many flaws as the one that you're an expert (laughs) on, but you're just not an expert. And so you just don't know that. Did you ever have that? The experience in grad school where like you pick up a topic for the first time, you pick up an article and you think that this article is just like the absolute gospel. And then you like oh, dig yeah. deeper, deeper, deeper. And you realize, oh, that first article is like kind of trash, actually. Yeah, but it's the first one. Like, how would oh, yeah. you know any better? You wouldn't. You know? Got to give yourself a break. Get a Twix. How about this? Hey, would you give me a Twix? I would if I had one. Yeah. Oh, thanks, And you were man. in the same room as me. Oh, beautiful. This is called the Ben Franklin effect. That is people like you more when they do you a small favor. So like uh, asking for a pencil or perhaps a Twix or this sort of thing. Yeah, the person will like you more. Just doing a little favor for you. I have heard this. 
And I actually heard that um, they extend the Ben Franklin thing. When Ben Franklin would move to a new house, he would always go ask each one of his neighbors for like a cup of sugar or something. And because it would initiate the concept of reciprocity. So now he would owe all his neighbors something. And therefore he would have good relationships with each of them because he was already always in their debt. Interesting. So like, I, I fully believe this. You are essentially developing a social connection there yeah. i never thought about the debt aspect of it but yeah you're already like yeah i think uh, that might be a, a c aldini thing uh from the influence research that he's done i want to say mm -hmm. it came through that some way super fascinating dude uh, if we could get him on the podcast oh my god that would be amazing he's got a lot of good network analysis research i'd love to have him on uh one last one uh are you prepared for a uh, woman's winter oh no <laughs> is this what I think it is? It is not. It is not. However, women's winter does, you know, ironically coincide with hot girl summer. This is where air conditioners are too low in offices and all the women have to cover up in shawls and stuff. It's a funny TikTok I saw. <laughs> I thought we were going a totally different direction. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. I know where you think we're going, but we're not going. I know. There. I was like, this, this is happening. This is the moment. This is my nightmare. <laughs> No, we talked about this with uh, Jordan Hartley some time ago. Uh, women are colder in the office, and they believe it lowers actual performance. And like, so there's like external environmental yeah. factors that could I don't be. Know if we mentioned people. this on the episode with her, but you know, like, there's research about a lot of these topics, and you also see stuff about like bias in the workplace and how things might be biased against one gender or another. Yeah, and I wonder how much of the like the AC just being set at lower temperatures had to. What came into effect when the workplace was more male dominated and men had to wear suits because suits are hot, like they're really hot. Oh. And I wonder if the ACs were naturally set lower because of that. And then as women entered the workplace more and more, the AC didn't change. And so it was like systematically, you know, affecting their performance in a negative way. Interesting, especially like 70s, 80s when, you know, yeah. suits are more prevalent. Like uh, you could probably test this because, like, I think suits are still worn more in like investment banking than like the tech industry. And I wonder if like the AC is colder in investment banks than it is in tech companies or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a way to test this. How do you feel about uh, uh, required dress codes? Uh, I mean, there are certain circumstances where they're helpful. Like, mm -hmm. have you ever been to like a Target and the workers not wearing a Target shirt? And then you're like, do they work here? Can I ask them for help? Like in that case, I'm like, yes, please wear some sort of signifier that you work here. But um, <laughs> like in terms of like, should everybody, I mean, outside of the military, I guess, uh, should everybody have to wear like the same thing? Generally speaking in knowledge work, I, I don't see really the purpose of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and when I go to Target, I definitely wear my red shirt and khakis just to confuse people, you know. It's but like, you're going to get a lot of questions. <laughs> misguided answers i i've worked in a couple of places that had a dress code policy and uh not a massive fan but um i understand it as well kind of part of the culture well that's interesting have you noticed um because again i'm i'm still a work from homey kind of guy um have dress codes changed since the pandemic my my loose understanding is i think people have gotten more casual but is have you noticed that i should think so and i, I think there's lots of elements there whether it's 
um, you know, I've never had anybody tell me what I can wear here. I'm sure that there's some sort of policies of like, you know, you can't wear a shirt with a middle finger on it or, you know, any sort of like crazy outfits, clearly. But I, I think that there's a, uh, I think the pandemic uh, hastened a more casual atmosphere. I think that sort of the old guard that did grow up going to jobs and needing a, you know, three-piece suit or even business casual, I think they're sort of being aged out of the workforce as well. And we're just yeah. seeing the more sort of casual uh, inter- injection. I remember saying something a few years ago that because of the casual nature of work, like suit manufacturers and companies that sell like high-end suits are like really struggling now. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I bet you they would love it if we went back to all wearing three-piece suits. You have a high-end suit? Yes, kind of. I, I remember I used to, I, I remember coming across it probably 10 years ago, one of those kitschy articles. It's like a hundred things to do if you're, you know, a successful, before, before you're 30, a successful professional. I remember one of them was buy a, buy a tuxedo when you're 25 <laughs> and stay that size. I was okay. Like, if, if you can do that, you got a lot of things going right. And I was like, yeah, man, I would love to stay the size of 25, you know, but, and not to mention, like, imagine you're 50 years old and you're wearing a 25 year old tuxedo. (laughs) It probably looks a little dated, even if you haven't grown in size. I've seen some of my uh, sister's uh, prom photos from like the late eighties and like, oh my God. Yeah. Imagine like trying to pull off this, especially a tuxedo. If you really want a tuxedo, I do have a high-end tailored suit which i don't wear other than to weddings and funerals what i do wish i did when i was like 22 is like buy a high-end like stormtrooper outfit and therefore you got a built-in halloween costume every year you know you can throw a lay on there if you want to like change it up put a sticker on it if you want to do something else you just like set that's very practical of you scott it's it's almost like i want to wear the same outfit and not have to think about it it's almost like you have the mentality of a stormtrooper in addition to the garb <laughs> of a stormtrooper. Well, I think it's all about effort, right? Effort and performance. It is all about effort and performance. Do you want to say anything more about that, Scott? <laughs> I feel like I've been setting these up quite a bit, but it's a really great article. Work Effort, a conceptual and meta-analytic review. It's a great question. Like, Is effort related to performance? Are they the same thing? We had this conversation, you and me, uh, before a pod one day, and uh, this article essentially argues that, uh, no, they're separate entities. I just wanted to point out, I think the first author's name is Chad H. Van Iddingi. Yeah, I didn't want to go for that. Yeah, yeah, I knew you were going to struggle with that one. Another favorite of ours, Herman Aguinness, is one of the co-authors. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that if you combine multiple types of effort together into a single construct and then show the relationship between that construct and job performance, there was only a 0.37 correlation in meta-analytic studies, which for social sciences is pretty high, Mm -hmm. to be fair. But that shows that, you know, 63% of the variance is accounted for by other things. And so that there's a pretty distinct difference between what constitutes effort and what constitutes performance. And I I think it really gets into a larger discussion of what matters more. Is it effort or is it results? 
Yeah, I, I think that like some of the benefit here is like get a little bit deeper thinking on what effort actually is. So is it just like physical going for it, you know, and like digging deep? Is it the amount of time you spend on something? So like duration of time? Is it subjective? Like I spent more effort on this today or is it, uh, you know, differences between people? Like uh, Cole spent more effort than Scott did today. If you look at it, I think it actually came from a, a tweet from Adam Grant. And he said, you know, I'm seeing a growing number of students complain. My grade doesn't reflect the effort I put into the course. Yeah. He said, public service announcement. You don't get an A for effort. You earn it by excellence. Success is measured by the level of mastery you show, not how hard you work. You know, we were talking about performance reviews earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know most companies take kind of a bifurcated approach of they reward behaviors and outcomes, right? So they're saying, hey, your effort matters and also the output of that. But I think as you move up the pyramid in the organization, those results become much more skewed to outcomes than they do to effort. Like nobody cares if the, you know, the CEO of XYZ company, they really tried hard this quarter, but sales got cut in half. They really just don't care. They only <laughs> care about the outcome, which is how are we going to deal with the fact and investors can be quite punitive um, in terms of how are we going to deal with the fact that, you know, the sales got cut in half. It's, it's all about the outcome. Yeah, I, I think that there's, it is like kind of a duplicitous sort of system there. So like if you were hiring a plumber, you don't really care if it takes them five minutes or five hours. You just want your sink fixed, right? And on the other hand, uh, especially in knowledge jobs, we, we reward people for engaging in the right behaviors. So leadership behaviors, you meet with your employees, are you uh, you know, taking care of these other aspects, administrative tasks? Uh, some sort of like, you know, whatever else is going on. Because to your point, there are so many factors that influence overall performance that are out of your control, but you need to reward those actual behaviors for engaging in them. I'm curious. Did you ever find a Waffle House for us to waffle <laughs> on? We didn't get very far here, but uh, can we just do like one, the final findings of the study? Uh, oh, okay, sorry. Effort is about what workers do and how hard they try to do those things. In contrast, performance is about how effectively and efficiently workers do those things. Thus, effort is necessary, but insufficient for performance. I couldn't have said it better. There you I go. totally agree with that. We ain't going to pay for that. We need some actual Waffle House right up in here, right? We need that waffle. This is the first one I see. Uh, would you rather travel forward or backwards in time? I mean, I feel like this is uh, this is sort of an easy one. I mean, maybe this is my own bias and why I should be better at waffling, um, but I'm not. Backwards in time, you know what you're getting into. Forwards in time, you do not. Like, what yes. if you go forwards in time and there's been like a nuclear apocalypse? It's like, and then you show up right in the middle of it. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like, well, I guess, I guess we're dead now, you know, but if you go backwards in time, you know, you can go find out who killed JFK or go kill baby Hitler or whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to do um, to go backwards in time, or maybe don't break it off with that person that was your first love, you know, or whatever it may be. So you're saying like, you'd rather go back in time to influence history, which would set you off on like another side history, which may change everything. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to take the bait on this whole sci-fi narrative of like alternative <laughs> histories and am I warping space time? You, The premise of the question was you could go backward, you could go forward. 
Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you have a different perspective. What? what no, no, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. So you're saying you'd rather go backwards in time, see all these yeah. events. Like it, it's it, there from a, 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 a uncertainty reduction standpoint, I would absolutely go backwards because the future, you just, you're going to go a hundred years. You're going to go five years. You're going to go a thousand years. Like how do you even know what you're getting into? Right. Whereas going backwards, you could find a specific time and place and you would know exactly what you're getting into. I mean, this is exactly what HG Wells uh, deals with in the time machine where like you go a little bit in the future and then like uh, all of a sudden uh, the machine goes out of control and you're just in like a wilderness, like the civilizations collapse. It's uh, just a jungle. We've reverted back to primitive states. Uh, I, overall, I would say take me the future. The the past seems like it fucking sucks. Like the Roman times <laughs> is brutal. A lot of disease. You dying at age thirty. Uh, yeah. There's no TikTok. There's no bathrooms. <laughs> it sounds oh, terrible. Yeah. My my caveat is if I'm going to the past, I need toilet paper, antibiotics, and maybe like a tomahawk <laughs> or something to make sure that I make it out alive. Oh, there's a great uh, comedian. He has a good bit about like, if I went back in the past, uh, I'm not sure I could convince anybody that I'm actually from the future because they'd want to know. Like, <laughs> You'd be like, here's my cell phone. And be like, how's it working? You're like, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea. Or like, who's going to be the next president? You're like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> just say, just say Calvin Coolidge. You're probably right. <laughs> you know, you never know. I, I could be convinced. I could be convinced to go to the past. Uh, there are things yeah. that I'd love to see, but the future. Let's see what the future holds. Is it nerdery time? Yeah, let's do it. We're surprising each other today with a bunch of things, really. So Yeah, if that's not clear to yeah. those who are listening, <laughs> we do not know it. <laughs> well, speaking of stuff that you don't know is coming, I found an article in Psych called A Simulation of the Impacts of Machine Learning to combine psychometric and police selection system predictors on performance prediction, adverse impact, and number of drop predictors uh, by Richard Landers and a few other folks from University of Minnesota. That's a mouthful. And it was um, really interesting because, first of all, it had some crazy high sample sizes, like 1.2 billion data points or something like that. It was crazy. But one of the things that they found, and it was sort of... Um, prescient for the the age that we're in about like people making claims that machine learning is going to revolutionize and police election mm -hmm. they actually found that the predictive models that they built only got better the number of predictors they dropped out of the model and that led to evidence supporting that more unsophisticated models for predicting performance not needing machine learning was actually more had higher efficacy than these advanced machine learning models because again the although their prediction could be higher that they didn't scale they didn't replicate over time that there was a, a strong atrophy there i thought that was a really interesting finding considering a lot of the claims that i've seen over the last few years that machine learning is going to revolutionize this this space that is interesting there is the element of like just adding new predictors also creates like an operational burden to actually collect those data points or you know there's so many times that you know I, I see systems just get deprecated and you know who knows what that data is feeding into etc but it is also interesting that I, I guess our performance ratings are so variable that uh, just a few predictors are doing just as good of a job as a ton of them well I mean think of it like um, we've talked about kind of the 
power law on here a few times in relation to performance. Yeah. It's probably a few predictors that are doing the heaviest lifting of model performance versus many of the others. And therefore, you know, machine learning models that are, you know, using like a ridge or a lasso regression or something like that, that has thousands of lowly correlated variables together is probably not adding any additional insights because of the whole power law. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, go back to what we were talking about earlier, that uh, only the top and bottom can be reliably rated. So you have a big chunk of people in the middle who are just kind of all over the place. So that's yeah. going to be like really tough to tease out. But, you know, you switch it to like some sort of like binary classification of top and not top. Yep. Maybe maybe it improves. I don't know, but that's less useful. Clearly, if you yep. want to make uh, compensation choices, all those sort of things. Yeah, just leave alone the middle 80%. That's probably a good rule of thumb. No, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, and I think there's like more room for, say, like lasso regression in our analyses that we don't really get into as well. So dropping out these uh, uh, variables or at least letting them go down to zero uh, just mm -hmm. to identify the most important ones. We don't talk about that very much. You got anything for nerdery? I do. I do. Uh, this article is called Scared for the Rest of My Career, Career-Long Effects of Abusive Leadership on Professional Athlete Aggression and Task Performance. So the study usually finds that between 17 and 33% of all men's college basketball coaches exhibit abusive leadership traits, uh, and the negative impacts created uh, by a bad boss outweigh the positive effects of a good boss. This research demonstrates that exposure to abusive leadership influenced both the trajectory of task performance and psychological aggression over an NBA player's careers. So uh, do, 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 do. those with abusive coaches performed at a lower level, uh, player efficiency rating is how they mm -hmm. classified that, and they had more technical fouls over their career. And they, this effect lasted 10 years over the player's career. So kind of interesting phenomenon that just having a bad boss may like taint your entire sort of trajectory. Have you ever had a abusive boss? I mean, I don't know if I'd have anything that would like fit like a legal standard of abusive, yeah. but I had some people that, you know, I wasn't fond of for sure. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever had an abusive boss. I've had bad bosses before. Definitely. Yeah. But micromanagey sort of types, but, uh, yeah, I remember like playing sports as a kid. My my biggest issue is I'm really hard-headed. No. And so like the yeah, no, we never would have suspected that. Um <laughs> I, I just I want to learn things myself is what I realized it comes down to. And so like my coach would want to tell me to do something differently. And I'd be like, you know, let me figure it out myself. But it came across as like, no, I'm just gonna do what I want to do. And um, yeah, got a lot of not lashing <laughs> like verbal you know not niceness from that cole's not a team player on the third grade baseball team yeah especially when your dad's the coach that's tough oh yeah. no oh no i never had that situation no my dad was a good coach actually it, it is it is interesting like uh the, one of the quotes that they have in here is something to the effect of like the best time to get rid of an abusive leader is yesterday the next best time is today you know what I really want to know? Like, we never really got to cover it, but like, is a hammock a chair? <laughs> like, oh. I don't know. I don't know. People if we ever have no idea where this reference is coming from. They they and, won't, uh, but I've been perseverating on it. 
So I come down pretty strongly on this. And <laughs> and since you brought it up, I do want to come back to what is a wallet and what's a backup wallet, but let's table that for a second. <laughs> okay. And and the most important of it, what's a flat sheet? But we'll make that third. All right. Um, there's a lot, lot to cover here. A lot, there's a lot, lot of hard-hitting stuff for us to pontificate on. I do not think a hammock is a chair. I absolutely think it is a sleeping receptacle for people <laughs> to lay down. How often do you lay down in a chair? Well, I mean, you get those like sweet ones that like recline and stuff, I suppose. But uh, but those are called a recliner. They literally, it's like in their name. It's like a recliner chair, though, right? I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be like obstinate here, like because I I too believe that a hammock is not a chair unless it's like one of those like weird like hammock chairs, like hybrid sort of. Oh yeah, that's fair. Like that. Yeah, that is a chair. Yes. Is a hammock like even comfortable? I don't know. I haven't been in a hammock in years. So okay, now we're getting into the real stuff. Hammock, comfortable in theory, not comfortable in practice, right? It is it is like. You, like especially if you're like me where you have like an oddly shaped body where like your weight distribution <laughs> is not equal if you have a non-weight distribution equal body a hammock is and you gotta have immense core strength to get this thing to just sit straight i see people like sleeping in hammocks and like out in the sun and more power yeah. to them but that's not my life man i i don't know i'm not a napper well, like, either i'm not a, i'm not a relaxer i don't enjoy it I am a napper. Yeah. Uh, uh, unintended. Uh, I mean, I want to like a hammock. I think that's why I get frustrated by this. I want to like it so bad. And oh then I God. get in an actual hammock and it always disappoints me. I, I want to be a hammock person as well. Maybe want to retire. Like in and I'll I'll add an addendum to that with beanbag chairs. Like beanbag chairs in theory look amazing. I would love to sit in a beanbag chair. I sit in them and it's like, this is not comfortable. And you know what violates this notion? Because I actually don't like the way they look, but they're incredibly comfortable, is Adirondack chairs. Adirondack chairs look like they're incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable because they're just wood and perfectly straight at angles. It's like, oh, that's got to be uncomfortable. And you sit in it, it's like, oh, this is amazing. The problem with the Adirondack chair isn't sitting in it and being comfortable. It's getting out of the Adirondack chair because like, because that same angle like prohibits you from like actually standing up. You're right. But you know, sometimes you just got to get over it. You're like, hey, I'm I'm here for four hours. I got a cooler next to me, and that's that's the way life is. You know, Adirondack chairs are like the British children of resilience. You know, like they're they're going to teach you how to get up properly and have a thicker skin, <laughs> or just stick there. That's that's your lot in life. I'm Adirondack person, and I'm not leaving because I can't. All right, so so tell me this, Scott. Why yeah. would one Why would one person have a backup wallet? <laughs> that doesn't serve as their primary wallet okay uh so this goes back to a story of this morning where as opposed to grabbing my wallet and phone out of a little valet i have by the front door i grabbed uh both my wallet and my backup wallet and uh, no phone so i am rolling phoneless right now which is totally uncomfortable feeling all the horrible things but I, I went through a period of probably 12 straight years of having a wallet, a nice leather wallet, and it got that like kind of great sort of like molded to your body, like leather feel. You know, it's like kind of like kind of slick and like just like perfectly molded. And eventually it crapped out. And then for the past like 
five years, I have been going through a variety of different wallets, testing them out, trying to work it out. I think I finally have one I like now, but now I got a bunch of wallets laying around the house and I collect a bunch of different little cards that I want to retain, such as travel cards for like Metro, like all over, you know, the U S or the world. So when I do go back, like I'll just, I don't know what to do with it. I can't keep my regular wallet. So I have a backup wallet and I stick all that crap in there or like credit cards that I don't use. They go in there. And uh, so I have a, a wallet and a backup wallet with all my other stuff in there. So like my uh, global entry card that goes in the backup wallet until I need it. My old driver's license, if I ever need it. I guess the question I have for you, and maybe I'm wrong on that. But the question I have for you is, do you think this a like the median individual out there, are they struggling with the wallet and backup wallet problem? <laughs> it is definitely first world problem for sure. I think that's where you're going. I've never no, no. even heard of somebody having a backup wallet till this morning. Well, what's your wallet situation? What do you do? I have a wallet. When it gets worn out, I buy a new wallet. One and only wallet, much like, you know, <laughs> the one ring to rule them all from Lord of the Rings, you know? Like, like how do, a backup ring. You don't have, like, uh, a bunch of cards that uh, you might need someday and just... Uh... No. Like it is, it is fair. What, one, of my, one of my travel things is to collect, like, subway or, you know, transit pass cards from wherever I go. It's, like, one of my little... See, uh, and that, that, that's an interesting and idiosyncratic thing yeah. that maybe you can make a scrapbook from, and that would be cool and interesting. I'm just, I guess, too utilitarian and practical. I just need one wallet and that's all I need. That's fair. Like, so like, going to go to London, grab my Oyster card. Going to go to Miami, grab whatever card that is. Got my Boston card, Chicago. Bam, bam. And they all have have a subway system. They do. They do. It's it's actually okay. A little transit thing, a train. I don't think it goes, it does not go to South Beach, which is where I would hang out the most time. You want to talk about flat sheets or you want to wrap this up? I think we got to talk about flat sheets. Why not? Let's like just annoy everyone to death with flat sheets. Hey, Cole, do you do use a flat sheet? I didn't even know what a flat sheet was until you brought this up. (laughs) So for everyone's uh, just uh, edification, we brought this up in a uh, pod that uh, did not get released. It uh, uh, died on the vine, as it were, technical issues or what have you. Uh, but this was one of the things posed. Like, do you use a flat sheet? So a flat sheet would be that second sheet, right? And it feels very ostentatious to actually use it. No, no, sheet. you're still being way too ambiguous. The second sheet for what? Oh, for your bed. For your bed. So you would have a comfort a comforter. Comforter. You have a bed sheet that is in this case called a flat sheet. And the question was posed: <laughs> Are you a flat sheet person? Or not a flat sheet person. And I'm like... Do you have strong opinions on the flat sheet? Well, flat sheets are perfectly fine. Like, I I just call them bed sheets. But it was like a words and terms problem. Like, what are we talking about? You have. If I remember correctly, are you like a non-comforter person? You only use the quote-unquote flat sheet? Well, I'm not a psychopath, first off. So let's not even test this no-comforter action here. Uh... (laughs) So the, the flat sheet goes in between the mattress sheet and the comforter. So it's like, this, that's that middle layer. And yeah. like some people get under it, you know, I might do it at a hotel, but. Uh... So, okay. What, 
all right what what is a like a psychopath <laughs> again is this a person who uses a flat sheet and no comforter or a person who uses a comforter and no flat sheet oh man so like you're painting me to a corner here because like in seattle you got to use the comforter but like my parents they're getting older they leave the place like 85 degrees you oh, gotta God. kick you gotta kick the comforter off and just go with yeah. the flat sheet just to have something on top of you but under so normal you're saying your your normal circumstances forcing you to be a psychopath is that what you're saying they can be they can be you know desperate okay. times call for desperate measures you know well, that clearly, I mean, I think we figured out what, you know, sent like Ted Bundy overboard is his parents kept the house too hot <laughs> and uh, had to take that comforter off. And then he started murdering people. Well, I mean, as opposed to women's winter, that's uh, men's summer, I think. Right. Want to bring it full circle. Are we, are we, are we doing it? Is this, is this <laughs> no. where it happens? <laughs> no, you're still worried about this. Shout out to Cardi B out there, everybody. Let's wrap this guy up. Uh, Scott, it's been great talking to you. I think we covered a lot of ground <laughs> in this episode. We definitely laughed more than 10 times, and that's a good thing. I don't know. Any final words before we go? Sorry, we'll do better next time. I feel like a lot of the Cole and Scott episodes in the same way. <laughs> they do. All right, well, you've been listening to Direction Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Cole and Scott, and thank you for listening. As always, all opinions are owned and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. 